He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Shall we pray? Father, this afternoon, you continue to be in our presence. Your word says the entrance of your word brings light. Let light come into our our lives and our hearts today. Lead us by your spirit. Give us a humble spirit to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. Let your will be done. Let your unction fill this vessel of clay. Let there be a cleansing because of your mercy. And let the word of God go forth and be glorified. And let it go forth and not come back without accomplishing that for which it is being sent. Thank you for answered prayer. Holy Spirit, I rely wholly on you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. Hallelujah. Well, the topic I received was balancing ministry life and family life. And um, it is something that I sometimes think about. And it is something that I think the body of Christ needs a lot of teaching on. And so by the grace of God, I'm going to share a few tidbits and then trust God for the rest. Amen. Well, from Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Bible says that a false balance is an abomination to God. So I think this is an apt topic because we can be out of sync and out of balance and think that we are pleasing God. And There are many things in the Bible that are abominations to God. And so I am surprised that a false balance should be one of them. Because we often think that some sins are very serious, but we don't think a false balance is a big issue. Amen. Among the things that the Bible says an abomination to God are a proud look, a lying tongue, all found in Proverbs 6, hands that shed innocent blood, a wicked scheming heart, feet that are quick to sin, a false witness that speaks lies, a sower of discord, wickedness, the sacrifice of the wicked, the thoughts of the wicked, the proud of heart, 
So I was surprised that among this family of things that are abominable to God is a false balance. And in Deuteronomy 25, reading from verse 13, the Bible says, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things, and all that do unrighteously, an abomination unto God. Amen. So that shows that we really need to seek balance in our lives as Christians. Some of us may be balanced, sometimes we pray a lot, but we may not know the word of God. And we may need to know the word of God so that we will stand on scripture to pray scripturally. So in that case, it's also a false balance. And many times in loving God and in serving God, we come up with a false balance. Some of us may be ladies in ministry and uh, you love Jesus so much, but you have left a, a sink of dirty dishes and you are out there in Makola casting out demons. It is a false balance. Amen. Amen. Some of us, we, have, we haven't got any food in our homes. And then we are busy serving food in the church. And when your husband sees you, he's angry and you say he's fighting God. But you are actually letting him blaspheme against the work of God. Because the Bible says in Titus 2, to the women, the older women should teach the younger women, among other things, to guide the house. So when you are not guiding the house, the Bible says that we should teach the younger women in the end so that the gospel of Christ may not be blasphemed. So when we don't have good balances, the body, the work of God and the name of Christ is blasphemed. And maybe either some lose their faith or some are not one at all. We know that brothers find a lot of, should I say, fulfillment in their work. And it is scriptural in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we are told, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that you, the labor of, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is all true, but we must seek a balance in the things of God so that we will be pleasing unto him and also so that we will be more fruitful, I believe. Amen. The interesting thing is that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, are you there? If you don't know 1 Timothy, it's not a crime, but at least I know that when demons come knocking on your door, it's not whether you have the latest car, but it's whether you have the thus say the Lord. That is what will change things in our lives. Amen. Amen. It's talking about people who want to be bishops. It says they must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, all that. And then verse 4 says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, 
For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Amen. It is surprising to me that God, in looking for qualifications, says so many things and adds that for a person to qualify to be a bishop, he should, among other things, be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children under subjection. I thought, why didn't he write having his wife and children in subjection? Because I think the Bible has already said, wives submit. So we, we, God is not expecting us to be forced into submission. But he's expecting us to, to do our part. So that's why children, having your children, not your wives, in subjection. It doesn't mean you should have a rebellious wife. But Ephesians 5 has taken care of the fact that wives should submit unto their own husbands. And I think that that is why the Bible doesn't write, Husbands, see to it that your wife is submissive. We are supposed to be godly enough to obey God's word and say, Lord, if you say I should submit, I will. Therefore, I will not need anybody to bring me into submission. Amen. But it says that the person should rule well his own house. And it is when he has ruled well his own house that he has the right or the privilege to rule God's people. So it means that our family life determines our qualification in the bishopric. Amen, somebody? But the body of Christ in these days has become used to works. It is good. I quoted First Corinthians 15. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It is true. But God says that before you even come into the house of God to find work or whatever you are doing, your home life qualifies you for a certain office in the church. Therefore, it is important that we get the balance right. Now, when we read that he should rule well his own house, we often think that rulership means domination. Or rulership does not have anything to do with um, servanthood. But it has all to do with we should just rule. But God gives us rights and responsibilities. Amen? And so it is not just rights. Oh, I have this right to rule you. But there are certain responsibilities that come with it, whether we like it or not. Amen, somebody. So when we look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11, it says, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. So that is part of God's work. And then when you read the verse 12, it says, It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. So as the king is ruling, he has parameters within which to rule even in the home. 
And it is an abomination for the king to rule with wickedness. So sometimes you are a king, but the wickedness in the home is an abomination. Amen. The place is quiet. The Bible says kings are to rule in justice. We can't read it, but Proverbs 16 verse 10. They are to be righteous. 16 verse 12. They are to stand for righteousness. They are to delight in truth. They are to love the righteous. They are preserved by mercy and truth. Proverbs 20 verse 28. They are to be virtuous and sober. They are to obey the law. So yes, rule your house. But there are certain things God is expecting in our rulership. Amen, the brothers. So when the Bible says rule well your own house, it is expecting you to rule, yes, with a firm hand, but also without wickedness. Also with righteousness. Also with purity. There are so many things that go together to bring rulership in a home. Amen. Amen. And the authority of the ruler should not be disputed in the home. Because anything with two heads is a freak. No ship has two captains. Most of the time, a company will have one CEO. But in being the captain, you also have rights and privileges. Some time ago, a ship, a cruise liner, drowned somewhere and the captain was jailed for negligence and other things so you are the ruler yes but even the ruler is subject to the word of God and must operate with the word of God amen somebody (laughs) now how do we create balance By the grace of God. How do we create balance in our lives? God, in 1 Timothy 3, reading from verse 12 to 13, it talks about deacons. Some of us may say, oh, but I'm not trying to be a bishop or to occupy any major office in the church. But the Bible says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree. You get that degree only when you have ruled your house well. You don't get that degree when you have done well in church. You get that degree when you have done well at home. Then you purchase for yourself a good degree in the church and in ministry. Amen, somebody. What I'm happy about is that it's not my ideas. But it's God's word. So ruling is servanthood. Amen. It is amazing that in the Old Testament, God will call people through families. So a family is God's creation. It's not a tribal, a gang family, a fancy family. It is God's idea. It's God who brought Adam and Eve first. Some people, I've heard some great men of God say, they don't subscribe to the fact that, you know, some pastors say the family was created before the church. 
Therefore, you must know your priorities and your... They don't subscribe to that because it is inferred. But in 1 Timothy 3, it is clear that you have to rule well at home before you get any post in the church. Amen. And when we look at Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God is talking to Moses and he says, I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God moved through families. He moved through Abraham, after that to Isaac, after that to Jacob. Amen? So we as a people must leave a good heritage. It's a legacy. Paul said the same faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then in Eunice and then in you. It's a family and a generational thing. So just as there are generational cases, you're ruling well or you're working with God is supposed to transcend from generation to generation. You don't just will your house. You also will the God you have to the next generation. So if he's the God of Abraham, Abraham ensured that he became the God of Isaac. And Isaac ensured that he became the God of Jacob. And so must you and I in our homes and in our family life. Amen, somebody. So the family is God's idea. In Joshua chapter 7, when Achan sinned, Moses said, go and bring your wife. Go and bring your children. I remember sharing this with my husband that I feel that when you are in a family, sometimes some things are not your fault. But because of the kind of high priest you have, you can be affected. So Achan is the one who hid the things God said they should destroy. And yet, when it came to the opening of the bowels of the earth for all of them to be swallowed, wife and children who were not in ministry were affected because things move from families and from generation to generation. So we need to be a bit more broad-minded about handling ministry and family life. So family life is affected by ministry life. And ministry life is affected by family life and vice versa. God made covenants with families. Acts 16.31, you and your household shall be saved. So God's idea is not that only you, you should be saved. Only you, you should be prosperous. Only you, you should flourish in ministry. But then he said about Abraham, I know Abraham, that he will command his family after me. It's not only in spiritual things, but in everything that God says is holistic for the formation of the members of the family. Under the new covenant, Paul talks about the whole family under which the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the family concept runs through everything. Amen. Now, what has brought this dilemma between family life and ministry life is often this verse that is quoted, where Jesus said, if any man will come after me, look forward to verse 26, and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, 
he cannot be my disciple. But beloved, this verse starts with father and mother. And some of us exclude all that. In ministry, the ones we deprive most are wife and children. But this line starts with father and mother. And then wife and children. And then brothers and sisters. And yeah, your own life. So you are not supposed to love your life more and say, oh, God called me to hate my wife and children. Your own life also is supposed to be hated. So let's divide scripture properly and not divide scripture to suit us. Amen? God calls us to hate father and mother. Those of us with tribes who even put father and mother first, I say, that's my family. They are the first on the line of hatred. Mother and mother, before wife and children, and then your own life are supposed to be hated. So that sometimes confuses us, and we feel bad when even we love our families or we seem to want to spend time with them. Some of these verses make us feel that, no, it is not God's will for us to be that way. But when you look at 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, 1 Timothy 5 Verse 8. If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Amen. So the Bible is saying here, if any provide not for his own, and provision is not only physical things, because a human being needs more than physical things to flourish. So you can't say, oh, for my wife and children, I pay school fees and they are very comfortable. So I've provided for them. Yes, it is good. But the Bible says we are spirit, soul, and body. So you cannot provide for us physically and not provide in the other way. Sometimes some women say, I'm called to ministry. So you do not provide for your household. You don't provide and we get into a lot of problems because of that. I mean, I've had pastors visit homes and there's no food. I've had pastors tell me I've become a scavenger in my own home. I've had pastors visit homes and maybe not pastors visit, live in homes and in the bedroom, they are being denied so much. And yet we are outside there. We have big titles. Prophetess this and we are seeing visions and we are having dreams. And, but God hates a false balance. And he that does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. So sometimes you may see unbelievers say, eh, he's not saved. Look at him. He's darkness. I am light. But when you don't provide for your family, whether emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, financially, you are worse than an infidel. And if you are not worse, we said we know that God does not hear the wicked. So if you are worse than the wicked, then perhaps something is happening to you that you are oblivious of. Amen. In 1 Timothy 5, 4, Paul says about even children of widows and nephews, he said that let them first show piety at home. Your righteousness, your piousness, your piety, it begins at home. And so the saying that charity begins at home is on all fours with this. 
So our righteousness should first be exhibited at home to our families, to our wives, to our children. Now, this one I do counseling, the way people even talk about their wives, you would think that they are talking about some satanic person. A guy spoke and I said, you know what? You owe your wife something. Say what? I say, the way you are talking, I have defined her as your enemy. But the Bible says, love your enemy. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. So if she's doing all this for to you, then you owe her something. But we are not like Christians at all. We have become more like unbelievers. (laughs) May the Lord help us. Amen. I've met people who say, you know, Lady Reverend, I'm a lady in ministry, but I'm not the, min- the home type. I'm not the home type. I said, what does it be? You see, these things that ladies do is not my calling. But I didn't write the Bible, but in Titus 2, Paul said, you should be taught to love your husband. You should be taught to love your children. You should be taught to guide the home. I've come to see that love is a thing you must teach, especially in the context of marriage. It doesn't always just happen. Sometimes it has to be taught. And the teaching starts from the home. Timothy was there, but Paul said, let the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands. Amen, somebody. So, Lady Reverend, how do we then get the balance that is needed? You see, I think that what Satan has done is to put spouses against each other. So instead of seeing Satan as the enemy, most families are seeing their spouses as the enemy. So Satan doesn't have to work. Like in the case of uh, when the king went to war and the people just killed each other. In the Old Testament, that's how it was. So now Satan doesn't have to work. He just sets husband against wife, and you do his work for him very easily and perfectly. And he almost wants to pay you for it. So now how do we get the balance quickly? Number one, let us learn to prioritize. Let us learn to prioritize. How do we prioritize? The Bible says in Matthew 22, 37 to 35... Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It doesn't say thou shalt love the Lord's work. I'm sorry, the Lord's work is different from the Lord himself. Amen? And... It may surprise us to know that that is the case. Because in Matthew seven twenty one, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will come to me and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name we have cast out devils. In thy name we've done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Not I never knew your works, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. 
And I would think if you prophesy, you cast out devils, you do wonderful works, God should be pleased with you. God is not against that. He said always abound in the work of the Lord. But priorities first. And the first priority is God himself, not his work. And we are so busy with the work of the Lord, we have forgotten about the Lord of the work. The Lord of the work has been put somewhere and we are busy performing and be doing the work of the Lord. But we need to reprioritize. Amen? And then he said the second is like unto the first. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Who is the closest neighbor to you other than members of your family? Who is the closest neighbor to you other than your spouse? So we need to prioritize. Prioritize even in the normal things we do. Don't let's do what is urgent. Let's do what is important. Because what is urgent is calling you. I must go here. I must go here. But what may be important is to just spend time with him and know him. Amen? So in order to also get a good balance, we need to prioritize as ministers and as potential ministers. Amen. What comes first is God. What comes second is your neighbor. Amen. What comes third may be God's work. And what comes last may be yourself. Because the Bible says deny yourself. But we need to prioritize and see the things and people that are important in our lives. And we need to put them in that category. Amen? Amen. If you don't sit down and prioritize, life itself will prioritize for you. And then you will say, this is not what I've thought about. Eliminate time wasters. Eliminate time wasters. Sometimes we say, Lady Weber, I don't have time to talk to my wife. But you are always on your computer. You are fellowshipping with your phone. And you have never prioritized your family as being important in the scheme of things. And sometimes even what you call ministry is just you are being happy on the phone. And when we do that, we shortchange ourselves. So we need to eliminate time wasters. Sometimes too much talking on the phone, both ladies and men. It's not necessary. You haven't spoken to your wife in so many days and you are busy fellowshipping with somebody else. And when she says, you say that she's hindering your ministry. But she is the first neighbor to you. Yes, you should be balanced and you should do your work and you should sacrifice. But it doesn't mean that she should be out of the picture completely. And lady pastor, it doesn't mean your husband should be out of the picture completely. It's like, as for you, you have received the heavenly call. And on the scheme of things, priorities, your husband doesn't even feature. That is not Christianity. I beg to differ. Amen. So we need to prioritize. And then we need to strategize. Make plans. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything. There's a time for quiet time. There's a time for ministry. There's a time for 
personal growth yourself. There's a time for personal recreation. There must be a time for family. You must strategize. You must use strategies of what you are going to do. And one of the strategies is to plan. There's a time for if God has plans. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. But you, things just happen to you. You don't have any plan. So unless you plan to incorporate family life into your ministry life, or you plan to incorporate ministry life into your family life, you are going to shortchange yourself. Amen? Jesus had plans. He said, go and tell Herod that I'm doing this and that, and then the next day I'll be out of here. He had plans. In Luke 11:13, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must, walk, I must work today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish out of Jerusalem. He knew what he was doing today, what he will do tomorrow, and what he will do on the third day. We must also have plans. You have to plan. So how am I going to spend time with my husband? How am I going to spend time with my wife? How am I going to make time for the work of God? How am I going to make time for ministry? How am I going to make time for my work? How am I going to make time for my own recreation? It takes a plan. It doesn't just happen. Amen? So please, let's learn to strategize. There's a time for everything. Plan breaks and holidays. Mark 6 verse 31. Mark 6 verse 31. Plan breaks and holidays. Plan them. They don't just happen. Mark 6 31. Jesus said, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Amen? Many people were coming, and yet he said, let's go aside and rest. Many people are coming. You say, my ministry is now growing. Therefore, I don't have time for family things. But rather, when many people were coming, that is when he suggested, let us go aside. Let's go into a desert where we will not be so disturbed that we may rest a while. Some of you too, you have bad balance. You rest too much. You don't rest a while, you rest too much and you are slothful in ministry and in the things of God. God is looking for balance that we might rest a while and even have time to eat. I myself will tell you, there are times when I forget to eat. And I tell people, hey, in your way, you forget to eat because you feel that God has called you. So you are sitting there, one person after the other, one person after the other, then now you call and say, I'm feeling weak, please get me a drink. Come aside and let us rest a while. Your family needs to be taken aside sometimes and they need to be given rest a while from ministry. The fact that they are tired and fatigued doesn't mean they are demons against your work. But even Jesus told his disciples, the person who said, the night cometh, I must work the works whilst it is day. He is the same person who said, come aside, let's rest a while because we need balance. 
in work, in ministry, and in family life. Amen. Now, we need to um, travel sometimes with family. 1 Corinthians 9, reading from verse 5 and 6. We need to travel. Sometimes some people say, hey, travel. Me, I can't even get a visa. I don't mean traveling outside Ghana. By the grace of God, I have traveled many times locally with my husband and my children because he has made the time for that. So then we travel not to any fanciful place, but we are able to make ourselves happy wherever we may be. Amen? One of our popular spots used to be Takrade. Now when I say go to Takrade, you say, oh, I thought you were going to say I should go to Tasmania or somewhere, Takrade. They all begin with T, but it doesn't sound interesting. But you need to plan breaks and going away. First Corinthians 9, did I say that? Five. What does it say? Paul says that don't we also have a right to lead about a sister? Are you there? Don't we also have a right to lead about a sister like Barnabas and Paul and all these type of people? Is that what it says? Barnabas and I, don't we have the right or power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas. The next verse. Or I only am Barnabas. Have we not power to stop working, to forbear working, to put a pause on working? Verse 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Paul is saying that Cephas, the brethren, and others who had wives, they used to lead about their wives into ministry travels. So sometimes one of the ways to have a break is to go along with your spouse. Like Barnabas and Cephas and these type of people. Because it is work, but you are incorporating family life into work. Because you may not always have a perfect time in your life. Learn sometimes to travel with your children. Joseph and Mary went with Jesus from the age of five or so till then he was 12 and then he was reasoning with the people in the temple. So sometimes you may not have always the time to set aside. You should do that. But there are also imperfect times that we can maximize and take them along. And when you take them along, even in ministry, it affects the children. Many years ago, I heard Lydia Hagen say that her children are used to ministry because wherever they went, and they went with them, when they were selling books, they would make a mat under the table for them to sleep. So then they learned ministry on the road. When Americans speak, they will tell you that, oh, my son has been in ministry from birth. What they mean is they've been putting them under tables, in cart. We won't count that as ministry, but they count everything. Amen. So look for opportunities like that, which may not seem a perfect break, but in between you add things. Amen? And this is found in the book Mega Church under principles of breaking from work. Principles of breaking from work. Chapter 7 is part of it. Amen? So create opportunities. 
Now, some people go away for so long. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5, you are not wiser than God. It says, defraud ye not one another except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. But it's the latter part I'm looking for. And come together again quickly. Let Satan tempt you for your incontinency. Sometimes people live here and their wives live in London. And they say they are doing ministry. But even in the same house, fasting and prayer, the Bible says come together quickly. Let Satan tempt you. And rather we open many doors to Satan. And we say, come in, be enthroned, and be Lord. We use the wisdom of the world. Like Reverend Isu says, Christians, husbands, and wives have only one bed. And when you have only one bed, Paul says for a time when you are fasting and praying, and even that it should be by agreement, and then come together quickly. Then you are on the ministry road for so many years. And you don't come together quickly. You need to make some effort and balance something somewhere. The Bible says, henceforth have we no confidence in the flesh. But we have a lot of confidence in the flesh, in the body of Christ now. There are no boundaries. We just go. And we just do things. We have confidence that the flesh will survive. But Paul says, come together quickly. That is one of the ways of preserving the family. Amen. So if you have to come together quickly, then sometimes you go along with your wife. So as you are ministering, she's also ministering to you in the inner chamber. And you are getting closer and closer to what God is doing. Amen, somebody. Do you know that in Deuteronomy 24 verse 5, God gave even a command that... If a man married, he should not go to war. A man in the army should not go to war for one year. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home. One year, and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. That is God. Even our honeymoon is a few days. Now he says honeymoon for one year. I thought you would say, when there's a battle, there's war, souls are being won. You say one year. And the one year is not for you to play golf, to cheer up your wife. to be taking the remote control and be changing to cheer up your wife I didn't say it balance it's important as my husband would say it doesn't matter if you are not happy with my preaching (laughs) so go along with your family even when it doesn't seem to be convenient sometimes It helps. And then stay in touch. 
There's now technology. When you go, you say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too, I, I counseled a thousand people. One day, one of our pastors, <laughs> his wife said, whenever I want to talk to him, there's never any time. He's busy. So she went out in the snow and she made a call. And the husband picked up the phone. I know them clearly. And she said, oh, when I was trying to talk to you at home, you didn't seem to have my attention. I didn't seem to have your attention. But I knew that when I call you, you will pick up the phone. So I've gone out to call you so that I can discuss something with you. Sometimes you know it's true, then you decide to cover it with anger. (laughs) That the Lord is on our side. Amen. Bishop talks about the principle of the Maximize Sunday. Have a day when it's like a day you give us an offering to God. And it's also in mega church. Where the Maximize Sunday, you give your all on the Sunday. But I have learned by the grace of God over the years to bring my children to church. When church is over and they are finished with their musical things, the saved army, all the things they are doing, then they can do some homework. They can do some learning. I bought a special table with two chairs for my daughter at the side of my office. So that if I'm doing some work that is not so personal, she can be there. And sometimes I send her off to the conference room. So that when we close, we all close together. When she's eating lunch, I see what she's eating. When she's playing, she has to tell me where she's gone to. All of them. And through that, maximize Sunday, but we are all in it together. Some of you, you go to church, you don't want to leave your child for musical, rehearsal. You say, oh no, let's go home. To do what? To go and watch Kung Kung Baja. Balance is important. So when you give that Sunday, the idea was you have given your Sabbath to the Lord. You have done your visitation, your counseling. And then you can flow in the rest of the week. Not that you forget about God, but you make Sunday your full-time day. And then if you're in full-time ministry, have a day fixed for breaks. Like in church, we say Mondays. So Mondays are the time you spend with your spouse. You may go out to play golf, but go back home when you are done. Don't go back and do other things. A false balance. Amen? The time that your husband is home, that's the time you've decided to go and do this eight-hour con roll. We need to look at our timing properly. I have learned by the grace of God to look at my husband's crusade schedule. And when I know that he's going to be home from this time to this time, I do not accept preaching appointments because I feel that that is the only time we will get to be together. Something must give. Amen? But you say, oh, God has called me. I can't. Whatever. So when your husband has gone on crusade, the time he's coming home, you are also going. I was listening to a great couple that has suffered a, a divorce. And when they were reading their reasons, they said, two lives going apart in opposite directions. And I learned from it. I said, oh, wow. You can be so busy about God's work that you break your family. 
This one has been called here. This one has been called here. And everybody is fulfilling their calling. You never meet. And you feel you are greater than God's word. He says, come together quickly. Let Satan tempt you. And in the, you see, so you can do a good thing in a bad way. And the Bible says, let not your good be evil spoken of. Your good be evil spoken of. So we need balance. Sports with your spouse. I'm ending. Genesis chapter 26. <laughs> From 8 to 9. Genesis 26. 8 to 9. Are we there? Abimelech the king was living around where Isaac and Rebekah were. And it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out at a window and saw. And behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. And how sayest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. Abimelech had to just look out of the window and he saw that the way they are going about is not sister, brother. They are sporting. But you, pastor, since God called you, there's no sporting in your life. Nobody can see when you are walking with your wife that, oh, this is a wife because of the way you are behaving towards her. You even forget you are going. You are going. One day my mother went to take somebody's child after her children had grown and left home. She said that she's looking after the baby. She got somewhere to visit the person and she forgot that the baby was in the car. She was sitting in the house when they came and said, oh, please, who is driving this car number? They said, hey, hey, somebody's child is in my car. That's how you have become. There's no sporting among couples. The Bible says, stir up love. Love is something that has to be stirred up. To have a good family life, it doesn't just happen. It takes hard work. It takes strategy. So we've talked about prioritize, strategize. That means plan. And then we've talked about the different things you should plan and slot into your life. And then deputize. Deputize. Paul did not think that he could do it all by himself. How come you in ministry, you think you can do it all by yourself? I don't get it. Amen? When you read Romans 16, verses 1, right up to 15, which we cannot read. Romans 16, Romans chapter 16 from verse 1. Paul is talking about so many of his workers, right up to 15. He talks about Phoebe. Then he talks about Phoebe being a sacra. Then he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. Then he talks about Epenetus. Then he talks about Mary, Andronicus, Junior, fellow prisoners. Then he talks about Amleas, some ten disciples. Why? He needed so many people to help him do his work. You too should not feel that nothing can happen without you. That will lead to burnout. We need people to help you to carry the load. Moses needed Aaron and her. In order to have a balance, you need help. But you have made yourself 
everything. Dr. Cho says that when he began ministry, he made himself everything. Don't prayer meeting, he's going for me. And one day he went to baptize and he fainted in the pool himself. He fainted inside the pool. They have to take the pastor out. A false balance is an abomination. So learn to have deputies. Learn to have helpers. Learn to have people who can help you. Paul, I can't read all the verses, but he had so many people who helped him. And he will mention them. This person, he did this. This person, he did this. This person, he did that. You too, in your life as a minister, you need helpers. Otherwise, you will burn out. If you are Bishop Dad, it's okay, I'm standing first love. But I also have to go to the Kodesh. You see, I don't trust the people there. I have to be there to work. Oh, then I have to also go to Sakumano. And I also have to... One of the great things that the graces that God has given Lighthouse is good men who stand to also work with the bishop. If you don't have that, you will collapse into the baptismal pool and you will not even be there for your family also. A false balance is an abomination unto God. Finally, God himself takes rest. How much more you? Genesis chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Even God rested from his work. Six days for creation, seven days recreation. Recreation means you recreate your energies again. You recreate your relationships again. You connect again. And that is the rest. The Bible says, let us labor to enter into that rest. Hebrews chapter 4. Because even rest, to have it is work. And it's something you labor to make happen. Amen? So labor to rest. Labor to spend time with your children. Labor to take them out to buy ice cream. So create things and rest because God rested. The Bible says, let us therefore labor to enter into that rest. Even rest, you have to fight to be able to rest. You have to fight to be able to reconnect with your wife. And when you are at home, don't let it be another work and ministry time. But let it be quality time when you shut down everything, including your internet, and concentrate on your husband or your wife. Amen. Please stand to your feet. I want us to... I want us to just talk to God. Let's close our eyes and talk to God. Some of us need healing in our homes. The way we treat our spouses, the way we have talked about them, the things that we have done, only God could forgive us and show us. Some of us do. It's out of ignorance. The times of ignorance, God wings us. But when he brings knowledge, he wants us to imbibe and embrace it. So let's pray that God give us a good balance. Forgive us for being out of sync. Help us to also love you first before your work. Let us put our families in the right places. Let us know that we are high priests for our families. 
Let us know that you have called us as women to mind the house and not mind only the outward. And give us grace to obey you so that Satan will not take advantage of us. Father, thank you that the family is your idea. I thank you that it's your creation. Lord, the family has come under a lot of arrows and onslaught from the enemy. I pray that you will build and rebuild homes tonight. Your word says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I pray for a turn around and a new beginning. I pray for healing of family relationships and broken down relationships. I pray that you will turn hearts of fathers to children and hearts of children to fathers. I pray that you will bring unity and love again in the home. And together, Lord, we will fight and leave legacies for our children so that they will say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers and our mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just finished hearing this message and I cannot leave you without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to say, Lady Reverend Adley, pray for me. I don't know whether I'll go to heaven or hell when I die. I'm not sure of where I will go or my destination. I want to make things right with God. I want to start afresh with God. I want Jesus to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. If you want to have Jesus as the Lord of your life, I just want to invite you to say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. Please wash me in the blood of Jesus. Take my life and come inside and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for coming to die for me, Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I may have eternal life. And thank you that by this prayer, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus, come in and be Lord of my life. Amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Hewitt Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Hewitt Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.